हे दिस इज सयम बुटानी एंड यू आर लिसनिंग टू चाय टाइम डेटा साइंस अ पॉडकास्ट फॉर डेटा साइंस एंथूजियास्ट वेर आई इंटरव्यू प्रैक्टिशनर्स रिसर्चर्स एंड कैकलर्स अबाउट देयर जर्नी एक्सपीरियंस एंड टॉक ऑल थिंग्स अबाउट डेटा साइंस Hello and welcome to another episode of the Chai Time Data Science Show. In this episode, I interview Andres Turubia, who is an entrepreneur at the intersection of engineering, customer-first mindset, and monetization, and also a Kaggle competitions master and active Kaggler. Andres has co-founded a digital distribution startup headquartered in San Francisco, which sold for thirty-four million US dollars. and he's currently the ceo and co-founder of fixer.com spelled f i x r.com fixer.com is helping owners make the best decisions on their home so do check out the website if you're interested andres has a bruce wayne during the day lifestyle where he works on his companies and a batman during the night lifestyle during which he works on kaggle competitions where he's an active competitor in this interview we talk all about his journey to the field of data science and kaggle We also discuss the predicting molecular property Kaggle competition by Champs, where Andre's team, Quantum Uncertainty, was placed second in the leaderboard, and this also uh, pushed Andre's into the Kaggle competition master tier. I'd also like to thank everyone who submitted their questions on Kaggle forums for the AMA section, and to Andre's, of course, who was kind enough to answer all of them. For now, here's my interview with Andre's Surubia. Bruce Wayne during the day and Batman of Kaggle World at the night. Please enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. I am on the call with Andres Turubia. Andres, thank you so much for joining me today, and especially for agreeing to the AMA section of the conversation. Yeah, thank you so much. It's my pleasure uh, to be in this podcast. Um, so you've been working in the business world for almost two decades now. If I may, you've co-founded a company that got acquired for thirty-four million US dollars, and are currently the CEO of Fixer dot com. Uh, before we talk about your quote-unquote Bruce Wayne life, <laughs> can we talk? <laughs> how did you become Batman? So you have this title: you're Bruce Wayne in the night and Batman during the evening, machine learning in the evening. Could you tell us about? your machine learning journey and your deep learning journey how did you get started yes actually so so my background even though um you know i'm now a ceo of of fixer my background is really uh, as an engineer so i think my only job and we'll touch on this later was at cern at the uh, european center for nuclear research where i was an engineer for about one year and then i you know so i have a background on, on software development would now you know in the deep learning machine learning community is referred to as software 1.0 mm-hmm. so basically what happened is one day i would just as a regular user open you know facebook and google and things and see that you know the computers started recognizing faces so I started seeing this trend especially about perception which i thought as an engineer that was out of reach it's been out of reach for you know those two decades so i started feeling like this fear of becoming obsolete like you know if you are let's say like you are 
you know, chemical, chemical, chemical engineer, and you see a spaceship going out to mm -hmm. the moon or even to the, you know, to the solar system. So you can think about the reactions that happen, you know, the chemical reactions or the propulsion yeah. systems. So you would understand that now, if suddenly, you know, uh, some extraterrestrial, you know, alien comes in from another galaxy, you know, you have no idea of how, <laughs> you know, it works, right? So I felt yeah. the same, like, oh my God, I'm an engineer and I have no idea on how this technology works. Uh, so then, uh, then just, just, out of pure intellectual curiosity, I joined um, one online course. Uh, in this case, was Udacity. I joined the self-driving uh, uh, nano degree, and the reason for choosing the self-driving is because it thought I thought that was a very difficult uh, uh, challenge to do a self-driving car, and that for sure you have to use techniques that were unknown to me. And of course, at the core center of those techniques which I didn't really know at the time, yeah. uh, was, uh, you know, machine learning, but especially as the course progressed, deep learning. Got it. That was triggered my journey. Okay. Uh, so also to talk about your journey in the business world, you've been working in business right after graduation. Uh, you did work for CERN uh, for a while, but you have a portfolio of having advised, co-founded, and even worked as a CTO, and now as a CEO of a business. What made you pick this path as well? And uh, why not go along the job path? So uh, I would say that it's been very personal. So, you know, I started coding when I was maybe 14, 15. Well, and, and, you know, you, you, um, I'm for the most part, you know, self, you know, uh, self learning. I live in a you know, relatively sized city by 300,000 people mm -hmm. in Spain. So I didn't really have lots of, you know, community you know, in person around me. So I have to learn, you know, basically through books, you know, et cetera. I have some colleagues, but in less that I would have really have liked. So then, you know, what happened on those years before even university and during university, I had all these ideas. And it was funny because I had this idea, maybe very simple, maybe even a game, et cetera. But then, you know, maybe one year down the road, I would see it in a product. Mm -hmm. So then I said, okay, I have these ideas and, you know, more often than not, I see them reflected that somebody else is doing it. And yeah. then, it's then very clearly, very early on, I said, okay, eventually I will be, you know, uh, creating those ideas and trying to put them in the marketplace. Um, my original plan was to work for a few companies, mm -hmm. you know, CERN and maybe other companies. I really, back then, I really liked cryptography. Um, so my original plan was to work, you know, first in CERN, but then bigger different companies. But then, you know, um, I visited the U.S., my cousin was there, and then I told him about a few ideas I had back then. And then <laughs> basically I quit CERN while I was visiting my okay. cousin. <laughs> so, yeah, it was very – so I think I really had all this, like, really – original plan of Tora company. Mm -hmm. So I knew I, I would do it eventually. And basically I did it before that original plan. But that's, I think it, in retrospect, it was good. Got it. Uh, coming to your current uh, job as the CEO of Fixit.com, could you tell us more about the business and what parts of uh, it do you handle? Yeah, so Fixer is um, um, the place where you go to make the best uh, decisions about remodeling. Mm -hmm. uh, so we run the site uh, in the U.S. and now we've just launched Spain. Um, so, you know, you want to know how much does it cost to, you know, paint a room, etc. Mm -hmm. So we have great content. 
And then uh, if you make the decision of, of, okay, I'm going to go ahead and, and build this project and do this project, then we can hook you up with local uh, uh, companies in your area that can give you estimates. That's what we do. And as you are thinking right now, it's very detached, right? From yeah. machine learning, et cetera. So we'll get into that later. So as a CEO, you know, I do what, um, uh, you know, um, from the, there's, there's few things CEOs have to do. Uh, high level, you know, is finance, setting the strategy, and then uh, making sure hiring, we have the best talent that we can. Mm -hmm. uh, so I do those three things. Luckily, um, the company is doing well, so we don't need uh, uh, financing. Um, we've been, you know, in the business for um, 10 years, so it's, it's more than enough. So um, so on that front, is good. And then the, 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 the new thing that I'm doing, and it's a consequence of, you know, this machine learning journey is, um, so before, as I said, I started this journey for, you know, intellectual curiosity. So it was not about, okay, I want to study deep learning because I want to apply it in my business. So it, it was not the case of a solution looking for a problem, which sometimes it was just out of curiosity for you. Curiosity. And then what has happened down the, down the road is um, I started feeling like a hammer that only see, you know, um, what's the name? Uh, nails, right? So it's, yeah. you know, I, I'm, I'm like a, so every place I look in the business, I have, again, a software 1.0 background. Also, I see, okay, why don't we do this with a, you know, prediction component instead mm -hmm. of having, you know, this, you know, old style, uh, rules to drive yeah. this process. So mm -hmm. then, then suddenly everywhere I look, I see things that we can approach through uh, uh, machine learning. Some, you know, and, and more often than not, I try to do deep learning, which will come later. Got it. So uh, now there's a question from Alison Davy. Uh, it's could you tell us what made you sign up for your first competition? We did have oh, a very yes. interesting conversation offline as well. Yeah. Sorry. So yeah, that, that was that was super fun. So what happened is, so say I, I joined the Udacity Nano degree, um, and then there's initial term, which is three months. And mm -hmm. those three months, there's just I think one or maybe two. There's two exercises, two projects. One is the traffic sign recognition. So it's very simple, if you will, just yeah. classification task, classification mm -hmm. only. It's not detection. Uh, so it's very simple with it in terms of flow, et cetera. And then the second project was a behavioral cloning project mm -hmm. when you have to, you know, drive in a video game kind of thing yeah. to a neural network to predict the steering angle, right? Mm -hmm. So with those two projects, remember, I come from nothing, right? Yeah. Not having no idea of machine learning. And three months down this path, I've learned to implement, uh, you know, neural network, which for me was a huge deal back then. Then I felt like I had superpowers. Okay, so what happened is, is right after I finished the first term, okay, yeah. three months, then Udacity and Didi, um, you know, it's like the Chinese Uber, they yeah. launched this competition mm -hmm. about, um, uh, it's, it's basically, uh, you have to build a real-time, real-time mm -hmm. um, detector of pedestrians and cars. Okay. Um, and, and so the inputs are really all of the sensors that are supposed to be in the uh, DD car, which right. is a, a cheap LiDAR. It was only, if I recall correctly, 32 channels mm -hmm. um, LiDAR. Uh, so the channels are really the lasers. So there's okay. the LiDAR basically, for, for those that don't know, 
is the sensor, these this kind of ugly sensors <laughs> that are on top of the car, right? Very expensive. Yeah. Uh, sure. Some of them more than the actual car. Um, sure. And then they they have lasers mounted like this, okay, yeah. that is spin in a circle. And then the lasers record the distance that the light travels and reflects back. <laughs> so you have, and then you, the, the, it's it spinning, maybe it spins um, 10, 10 or 20 uh, times per second, if I recall correctly, 10, this case was 10 mm -hmm. uh, times per second. And okay. then uh, you get for each, um, for each spin, you get a point cloud. So it's all okay. these like uh, black images with, with points. It's kind of like Matrix, the movie. Mm -hmm. um, that's the LiDAR reading. So you get, in this competition, you got the LiDAR reading of a car like that is going you know, around. Mm -hmm. And then you also get cameras. The car has a camera. And you get uh, some of the sensors that you're know you you're not going to use, like the gas you have left, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So this competition was about getting all those sensors, you know, as many as you can or, or as few as you, as you can. Right. And then predict, like, like putting a bounding box in 3D, Mm -hmm. um, the obstacles. Now, okay. what happens is something that in the literature, which I didn't know at the time, is called the Moravec paradox, which yes. is things that for humans seem super simple, uh, but are difficult for computers. <laughs> so what happened to me was a perfect storm between the Moravec paradox mm -hmm. and my overconfidence of just having <laughs> finished three months of this journey. But of, so, so then I also worked in the software domain for like before jumping into the machine learning domain. You had been active there. Yeah, yeah. So I think the the so I think I had a good start in programming, although I didn't know any Python back then. But Python is a very you know benign language uh, yeah. compared to C or even assembly language, which was my origins in assembly language. Okay. So you can imagine. Um, then also decent math, um, you know, from university. Mm -hmm. from my studies uh, and then also systems like building a computer you know running linux so all these three things which yep. are i think prerequisites i already had so Got that's it. a good start okay. so then but, but but then machine learning so then but then what happened is okay this looks easy right like if you look at the point cloud you can actually kind of see where the car is mm -hmm. And I know how to build neural networks, so this is a piece of cake. <laughs> it was not a piece of cake. So, so what happened is my first, like, uh, so I joined this competition. Uh, the the ground truth, as usually happens, was a nightmare. I spent lots of time cleaning the the ground truth, mm -hmm. and then um, I I studied papers, and I what is it, very funny. So it, the there were like two cut off. There were like two thousand teams, and the first um, the first stage was to get just 50 teams out of the 200. So okay. I found it was very new back then, very, very new. Mm -hmm. This paper um, about um, that was, I think, in, 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 as far as I know, the first paper that dealt with um, point clouds natively. Mm -hmm. So in, in deep learning and machine learning, things are easy, quote, they're never easy, <laughs> but easier when the data has always the same length, right? It's a structure, so for images, it's a, like a dense matrix of, of pixels that mm -hmm. you fit in and always they don't change, right? But a point uh, cloud is, is different, right? A point cloud- Sorry to interrupt you, so uh, could you, for the audience who don't understand, what is a point cloud? Could you explain that? Yeah, so a point cloud is just like a set mm -hmm. of uh, 3D points. A 3D space. image of, of a, if we may, gathered from a LIDAR sensor? 
Yeah, but it's not an image. So the, 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 the each item in this set uh, are like at a minimum three coordinates, like X, mm -hmm. Y, and Z. So a 3D sort of graph situation uh, from which we can generate an image of objects. Yeah, you could project, exactly. You could project the point cloud, which is what you are shown a point, a point cloud. Mm -hmm. You are really looking at a 2D projection right. of the point cloud from the perspective of the car or from top of the car from one side, right? So that's a 2D projection, but the native point cloud is really a set of points. And the difficult thing here is, it's a set of points. So the order doesn't really matter, right? So if you had mm -hmm. the order in which it appears in your array, let's say, yeah. uh, in computing, right? It doesn't really matter mm -hmm. because each point has its coordinates. So that's, you, you're gonna start to see that that's difficult, right? For machine learning yeah. to deal with, you know, a set mm -hmm. instead of a, an array, right? Which in which the order matters mm -hmm. or a sequence in which the order matters. Uh, so in this case, it doesn't really matter. Uh, and then also, it's, it was difficult because each spin had a different number of points. Mm -hmm. So that was also difficult. So, okay. but then I found out about this paper that um, was the first one, as far as I know, I, I know that dealt with point clouds natively, mm -hmm. um, which is called PointNet uh, from you know a team in Stanford. So mm -hmm. I implemented it, and with thanks to this implementation, I managed to get in in the fifty um, in the first stage, fiftieth stage. But then, um, so as you know, I only had like one computer. Uh, I was a GPU, you know, it was decent, but you know, just one GPU. And okay. they, they had lots of data, this competition. So I got an error of like a meter, um, which, you know, it was enough to get me in the 50 cut, um, right. the first stage. And I thought initially that it was just a matter of, okay, the, the machine learning algorithm or deep learning hasn't really converged enough, right? <laughs> so for me, this is going to be easy. I'm just going to rest and let Wait the computer long. do its job, right? Yeah. But then one day I was, I was running and I was obsessed with this problem and I was like in my mind reviewing the paper and then I thought about a few assumptions that they make in the paper that re didn't really uh, match the exact problem of the, that I was dealing with. Mm -hmm. um, and then I emailed the author and I said, hey, you know, is this right, what I'm thinking? And he said, yeah, that's right. Which meant that all my stuff was not going really to get me any harder. <laughs> so I had a crisis back then. Okay. Uh, it's funny because the same has kind of happened with this molecular competition. I will, I will get into that later. Sure. And then I have to like rethink everything. And then um, long story short, I instead of looking at LiDAR as 2D images, which is most, what most people do, they mm -hmm. build projections of LiDAR some like a planar projections, like from the top, from the sides, other like they do a spherical projection or cylinder projections. Um, and, and, but, but then I said, okay, if all these teams and they were teams from universities, from companies are really focusing on 2D projections, that's a path I cannot take or that path I should not take because right. these guys are experts in this thing. And, and there's only three weeks left. Uh, and then I have to really stretch my mind <laughs> and then I consider the what was the total duration of the competition? So from when you entered, uh, how it far? It was like three months. And okay. I, actually, I actually entered like one month later. Um, <laughs> okay. So it so was like later. I lost, yeah, two, two, I lost one month. So, so I thought, okay, LiDAR is really, if you think about it, I, a 1D signal, each, each mm -hmm. beam, right, of LiDAR. So yep. basically what I did is consider LiDAR as a sequence 
right as it's, it's moving, right? And then if it's a sequence, you could work with RNNs, right? Or STNs. Mm -hmm. So um, then I built, um, you know, a, a point segmentation algorithm treating uh, the LiDAR 16 beams as like a 16 dimensional 1D signal, okay. if you will. Um, and that really worked really, really well. Uh, mm -hmm. There were some issues in real time because, but, but then you don't really need it because it was like very long sequence, like 1024 uh, to, to not lose like angular resolution. But yeah. then um, I was able to segment. Um, so, you know, long story short, then I, I had the very few, like two weeks before the deadline, I partnered with, um, with a, a, a Russian teammate that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, had a really, um, you know, good experience in um, in, a, in the tool that they wanted us to write the solution, which is called ROS, R-O-S, Robot Operating System, hey. which he had no idea back then. <laughs> um, okay. So we kind of split, I was working on deep learning, the perception stuff, and he did the, what is called the Kalman filter, plus the mm -hmm. ROS implementation. And we ended up uh, four in this competition. So what that was, uh, you know, I kind of felt a bit spoiled because it was my first competition <laughs> and, and we managed to do it, um, you know, pretty decently because all the other teams have lots of experience. And there was one Russian team that has been working for like one or two years in a Formula One autonomous car. Um, okay. And the other guys all were Chinese from top universities in China. So I think I felt, you know, really proud to, to finish uh, in my first competition in, in the first spot. Got it. So uh, after getting the fourth position in that competition, how did Kaggle come into the picture for you? When did you sign up for Kaggle and what was the point leading up to it? I think the, so I think I did this one, which happened. Yeah, I think I did this one, which ended in a, maybe June or May 2017. Mm -hmm. And then I, you know, it was a summer, I didn't do much. And then I joined my first one in Cal, which if I recall correctly was the Carvana one. Uh, Carvana competition was about, they give you a picture of a car in a you know, special setup that they had. And you have to basically do in Photoshop what is called the magic wand, right? To basically do a segmentation of the car. So getting the pixels of the car and only the car and not the background. So that was the Carvana okay. one, which is image, image segmentation, which is conceptually much easier than mm -hmm. the LiDAR one. So, so, you know, this is my first image thing, which is not a classification. I've never done segmentation. The challenge in this competition was that the images were quite big mm -hmm. compared to, you know, back then. So it was like a, a, a 1080p images. Right. So it was a, an issue to fit them in the GPU. Mm -hmm. So, and I always, so so that that's when Kaggle came into place. And uh, that was like, then I, I thought, okay, maybe, you know, if this, like with a unit, right, it looks like a soft problem, right. which for many problems it is, image segmentation, as long as you have the good data set. But mm -hmm. then I started, you know, I, I opened this, Pandora's box of things that are beyond just the implementation. Like how do you augment data and right. crazy techniques were being done in Kaggle that I was looking at the forum. Then ensembles, I have no idea what an ensemble was, <laughs> right? So then, you know, there's all these, uh, you know, very creative solutions. Sometimes maybe not so creative when you just blend ensembles um, um, kind of blindly, but still, so that kind of said, and then the community, right? The community, 
Dincado, you know, under sophistication by having the training set, the public leaderboard and the private leaderboard. You know, not, not many competitions have, so so sometimes you join a, a, a competition that is, you know, uh, organized by a company and mm -hmm. they do not have this level of sophistication. Right. So I really liked uh, the sophistication and also the competition and also the fact that you could team up with different people, mm -hmm. uh, not for the sake of win. So I must admit that in the first one, I did it out of necessity um, <laughs> okay. because two weeks left and I had no idea of Ross. So mm -hmm. that was uh, kind of a necessity call. But Please. then on Kaggle, it's, it's a great opportunity to learn from people that think very differently, that you think I have different experience. That experience may be about coding, maybe about data cleaning, maybe about tools, maybe mm -hmm. about tricks. So it's, it's, I think, a very rich ecosystem. Got it. And uh, for context, this was your second competition. So nothing happened between these two competitions. So, um, what could have happened? Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, but did you take any other online courses or any other? Oh, well, yeah, well, of course, uh, I became hooked to this. So I, I uh, did the Udacity one, but then I immediately saw the um, the classes of 2016 mm -hmm. that were taught. Um, you know, by by three, I think a minimum three. Uh, I think Lele, uh, Andrew Carpathy, and then uh, Justin Johnson, if I remember correctly. Right. The, I think it's CC, CS. Two, three, one, and I think. Two, three, one, and exactly. Right. So, and that's a superstar class. Mm -hmm. I think anybody worth their while in deep learning should watch that. Although it's labeled as image, they go beyond right. image. So that's mm -hmm. so. Then I became completely hooked on, you know, I watched this, reading videos, etc. So I didn't have any, back then, then after that I did fast AI courses. But back then, so this is before fast AI 2.0. So mm -hmm. every everything on my coding was done in Keras back then. Um, TensorFlow was a bit too cumbersome for me. Yeah. Um, like raw TensorFlow, maybe good for research, but for practicality competitions, Keras fit the bill quite nicely. So that, that was my my um you know my transition so it was really keras uh watching just watching videos reading papers and, and then also starting like to follow people on twitter i think we are lucky in this industry if you will or in this discipline or industry that community yeah well we are i think we are one of the very few disciplines that happens to have like a real-time open dialogue about the breakthroughs. So sure. somebody will implement, like you see last week or two weeks ago with the optimizers. So I had this joke, like every day a new optimizer. So, you know, we have, you used to have Adam, now you have like a rectified Adam. Yeah. Then people started also, like a day before came uh, look ahead, people combined <laughs> those two and those all in the course of one week. Yeah. Right. That's crazy. In other disciplines, this makes in months be, 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 <laughs> before you start because you know we have archive uh, for open papers. So I think that was like okay. So I was feeling that you know we you, you are witnessing like the 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 birth of a new thing. Like when I was witnessing um, almost like the birth of the internet when I started. So I was like here is better because you can see things and the time from idea 
some from paper to implementation to production is super short. It's in, I think it's the shortest yeah. I've ever seen. Definitely. So the next question is from uh, the King of Kaggle Kernels, uh, Artgur or Andre Lukyanenko. How do you balance time spent on competitions with life and work? So do you not sleep like Batman either? So you Bruce Wayne in the day and Batman during night? Uh, so so mostly in the day, you know, it's, it's just like a regular job. I think the, um, and I will touch on this later, I typically join for the most part uh, competitions where I can apply deep learning instead of conventional feature engineering machine learning mm -hmm. because I think the trend there's two, there's few reasons one is like uh, practical the direction in which society is going is to generate more and more data so yeah. even though in some scenarios less data you know maybe like uh, boosting algorithms may work better mm -hmm. right that's not really the trend we are going. We are going towards a society with generate more data, labeling is easier, etc. So that's one thing. Um, and then the other, from my personal perspective, is that typically when we work is, you know, you look at the problem in Kaggle, and then you see, you know, you think in your head, how would you tackle it? And this is just like background thinking. Mm -hmm. um, and then the coding, as opposed to, so the coding in software 2.0, deep learning, machine learning, yeah. is much, much shorter than in software 1.0. In 1.0, it has changed. But traditionally, like if you wanted to do like a conceptually simple website, you know, <laughs> it's always weeks, right, of yeah. coding, if not months, right? And, yeah. and a team, right? And now that we have full stack, but before we used to have like a front end, back end. Yeah. So it's crazy, like for a freaking website. Okay, so... So now this is like you have the idea, and if the idea is right, and with all these frameworks, we don't have to do the uh, the um, uh, differentiation of the loss function. It's automatically done for you. So, you know, the coding is just a Jupyter uh, notebook. It's nothing. You can code in like three or four hours. For sure. So, yeah. So then, so what I do, so how do I balance? So I try to be very strategic about what I do. And typically it's, okay, try to focus on competitions when I can apply new ideas mm -hmm. and do it differently. As, so for example, so of, of course in the DD I mentioned, so it was different because we use like a recurrent neural networks for LIDAR, which I think nobody has done. Then from the other one from Carvana, uh, we did something different, which instead of taking just the unit for the whole image, so mm -hmm. we take like a first step unit on the whole image and then we did like a refinement taking like a boxes of the perimeter that has found so it was kind of new. There was right. one other participant that did the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, and then I've seen this approach um, more polished because our was like two steps uh, taken by uh, doing by research at Uber. So we were into something, you know, new things. So I always try to focus on things that, okay, even though if I'm not an expert, can I do it differently enough with small effort in right. terms of coding and time? And then I can like throw the problem to my computer and mm -hmm. then it's just letting it train for a few days. I check, I stop the experiment, I launch it again, but that's not really a lot of time. So yeah. it's mostly taking care that the computer is alive and training. <laughs> <laughs> but I'd again like to highlight that since you had this rich experience of working as a software engineer over the few years, that's also helpful. So for me, for example, training something might take maybe a few days that you could I imagine code in a few hours. 
Well, I don't know. Um, I think one one of the things that so initially one one change I've I've done, and this is thanks to uh, Fast AI and and Jerry Mohoward, um, is this idea of interactive programming, mm-hmm. which is historically like, I was used to code in like a, a, a you know Visual Studio or even like Sublime Text environment, which didn't get immediate feedback of what you're right. doing. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you you spend a lot of coding, then debugging, etc. So that may be good, like for production systems, which mm-hmm. you have to know, like software engineering, like proper, like maintainable code, etc. But then this blend of good software engineering practices with interactive programming, like we, we when I was a kid, we used to have basic that you know the person you saw at the computer was like a basic interpreter, right? So you yeah. even to load a game, you have to program or type something, right? So that was a good uh, experience. So I think right now it's this this interact you know interactive interactivity paradigm which you can immediately like launch the code if it's wrong then you just just put another cell makes yeah. you go much much faster mm-hmm. I think that's a great advantage um, but then of course knowing programming really helps and, and that's something I, I I recognize sometimes I take for granted um, and and sometimes it's not the case but. Yeah, but but also we have to keep in mind that Python again it's like, may not be an efficient language <laughs> in in terms of you know the CPUs per thing accomplished, but it's a very expressive and effective language. It may not be efficient, but it's yeah. very effective. And today we are trading efficiency for effectiveness. Mm-hmm. And I think it's especially good for beginners. You yeah. know, C++ is more efficient, but you know, good luck as a beginner doing machine learning with C++. Also curious about your take. I'm not sure if you've checked it out. Swift for TensorFlow. So FastAI uh, founder Jeremy Howard is really pushing for it. What are your thoughts on that? I think that's that's um, you know I always so th- th- there's people coming to me and say hey, how do I learn you know machine learning etc. I say you know I'm thinking in my head if you are like 16 years old like you know do Swift because it's the new thing that is coming it, mm-hmm. and I see it this 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 vision of getting the atomic unit. Yeah. I don't know if you, you've through, gone through the lessons. So getting uh-huh. the atomic unit uh, be the internal representation that gets uh, uh, compiled instead mm-hmm. of interpreted. And the good things in Python are because they are not really in Python, right? <laughs> NumPy, et cetera, like TensorFlow, Python, none of that is really Python. So you get the Python API. Uh, but that's it, right? So that's going to hinder eventually. And when you program, like the trend today, if you look at the AMD processor, it's really more parallel processing. Yeah. And doing parallel processing in Python is a mess. And it's fun that the Python community at large doesn't recognize that as a problem. Hmm. You've, you know, the, the famous GIL, you know, the, the, the global interpreter log yeah. thing. That's to me, it's crazy that you have to do uh, things like Jeremy has like a, uh, try to uh, simplify somehow with the parallel function uh, a bit, which you know I used to do manually. I just use this parallel uh, helper function. That, but again, it's been processes. Sometimes when you launch many items, it gets out of uh, um, OS handles for all the open files that get created. So it's a big mess, uh, yeah. but it works, right? <laughs> so my vision is, I'm really excited. So I'm really excited about the possibilities, mm-hmm. but today I'm not using it because two, two reasons. Um, it's still way too immature. Yeah. And, and I say I don't have the time. So 
because I, I want to do you know less code and make sure it works. Um, and also, as far as I know, and I may be wrong, at least in release candidates, TensorFlow two, even in eager execution, in even in, in, in eager execution, is significantly slower than PyTorch. Yeah. And for competitions, speed is critical of experiments. So mm -hmm. that's one of the reasons I'm not using uh, TensorFlow two, uh, even though the eager paradigm, which is of course borrowed from either PyTorch or even Theanos, Theano, mm -hmm. uh, uh, um, is better than the graph approach in my view, or easier. Got view. it. So there's a question from Corey Levinson. I think this is specific to your current gold winning solution as well, but maybe you can talk broadly about that right now. Why, does, why do you choose FastAI instead of native PyTorch? I think so. PyTorch, I think I've, I've made the answer already. So PyTorch has this this uh, imperative uh, 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 model construction instead mm -hmm. of the graph defined model. So it's easier and you know more flexible in my view. Um, and then FastAI sits on top, so you get lots of goodies from FastAI. So right. you get like learning rate finder, one line of code, great for <laughs> my paradigm, right? You yeah. get a training loop, again, like feed one cycle, one line of code, <laughs> uh, right? So it's, it's difficult to beat that. Of course, you can do everything, you know, manually in Python if you, but then the beauty of FastAI, which may not be evident when you use it, is that if you invest time mm -hmm. with the callback systems, then you can do, I think everything you can do manually, yeah. uh, you can do with a callback system even in, in, the, in the current version, which is version 1.0. Mm -hmm. um, so of course you have to invest. Uh, callbacks are easy. I think the most difficult part that I, I had more trouble is the, uh, uh, the data bunch, uh, you know, and data blog APIs yeah. because of the cascading way in which they are built. Uh, that's where, especially in a solution with the, when you do not use the pre-built um, um, what they call the, the libraries for vision, for text, mm -hmm. tabular, right? When, when, when you are outside of those like uh, yeah. wall gardens that are very, things are easy and then you have to build your own uh, item list and, and you know, then yeah. it's a bit more, you know, it's, it's, it's you know, it's, I think it's, it's more difficult than Keras where you just had a generator that mm. spits out data. Maybe yeah. the generator is more low level, but you grasp it immediately. Whereas in FastAI, you really have to buy into their architecture, which yep. you do, but mm -hmm. requires a bit more of a learning curve. So I, I guess the chance is you get the best of both, of both worlds. For the audience, I'd like to mention, and uh, this episode is being recorded on 1st of September, they are actually building the 2.0 version of the library and it's open to contribution if like you, you'd like to invest time there. So you can maybe jump in right now and also learn the architecture as they build it. Yeah, it's a, to me, the, the, the fast AI, so the, there's the fast AI latest, I don't know which version it is of the mm -hmm. course. I think it's V3, which is really V1 of the library, right? Yeah, yeah. So V3 had like two parts. The initial part, which is, you know, is, is basically a work through the library, right? Mm -hmm. But then the second part to me was like mind blowing, <laughs> like really mind blowing. Like same for me. It's very unusual for for like software engineering or for a, 
from my perspective, for a, the creator of a library to tell you like how they do it, the workflow. Mm-hmm. And this workflow is very different from everything I've seen, right? So, and then doing things from scratch the way they did it, to me was like completely mind blowing. So if, if you've done the first, if you have not done the first day course, I really recommend it like the, you know, uh, go to course to do right now. It's very accessible, top-down approach. You know, it's you know, kudos to uh, um, uh, Jeremy and Rachel and and Sylvia and the FastAI team for building it. But then, when you finish, like you know, the second version that they go into details yeah. on why they did it, why they did it, and how they did it, it's just amazing. The only the only thing I really had, which is like very picky, that they've mm-hmm. largely addressed, and I, I, I admit I complained in the forum, and then I didn't do anything mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, in terms of fixing it, like contributing, because I don't have really time, was right. it the, the naming. So there were some naming inconsistencies initially that they've, mm-hmm. like a CNN learner, remember for image, yeah. they've, they've changed, they have different names, so they change it. So there's, and then, then also, in my mind, there's still a fight internally between having all these crazy vibrations that you, mm-hmm. each time you read them, you have to process, for, at least for me, that I'm not a native English speaker. So I have to see, like, why, you know, they they use, you know, uh, I don't know, um, um, you know, a smaller vibration in, in this place right. and the longer version in this other. So there's consistency in naming. But again, this is, you know, you get, you cannot really complain. You're getting this for free. Uh, really, <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, he's done. He's Jeremy is funding this, so it's to me, it's like really mind blowing. There's no like a company like you know MXNet. They have Amazon, right? TensorFlow. Yep. They have uh, 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 Google. Pytorch. They have Facebook. So there's interest in all those three. So the interest here is pure, and and the interest, and they've been the library not only f- from solid engineering principles because of the high-level uh, uh, goals that they have in terms of making this accessible. Yep. So to me, it's just mind-blowing. I also followed on Twitter that Jeremy will never accept any form of donations for the fast efforts also. So I don't know why or how they do it, but it's totally amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, that's crazy. Yeah. Another thing I personally want to mention is once you get the hang of the naming convention, which may take a while, uh, then it's definitely rewarding because then you can easily wrap your head around the architecture that we were just talking about and the complete practices. So if you like do invest some time there, it's definitely helpful in my experience. Yeah, yeah. I really wish I had the time to contribute <laughs> uh, to version two. Really, I think I need to, I don't know, clone myself, <laughs> dot clone. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Okay, uh, so the next question, I think you've answered this in some extent, maybe you could quote some examples, but Alison Devi asks, how has what you have learned taking part in Kaggle competitions impacted your professional life? Yeah, so I think, so, I, so I'm going to already say it. So before I started from a curiosity standpoint, so now I see, okay, why don't we do this and we are actually doing it. Mm-hmm. Then I think the difference um, between, and this is pretty obvious, right? The difference between, there's few differences between a cattle competition and production. The first is in a company is the data set, right? That, that more often than not, you do not have the data set. Right. Um, luckily, we already have the culture internally of being extremely data driven. So mm-hmm. we already have and, and kept the data that we are using for training. Uh, that's one thing. But then the other thing, which is 
you know, this, the whole life cycle of, mm -hmm. uh, you know, deep learning model um, is not really, as far as I know, we don't really have like super best practices for it. Like, do, do, do you retrain every day? How does online learning work in practice? Um, what is, if you're deploying, like if you do like automatic deploying, like what you yep. do in software that you do continuous delivery, mm -hmm. that's continuous delivery work from the learning models. Um, do they require validation? What sort of, so there's all these things that explode <laughs> that you can really, you know, understand that in the software 2.0 world, we don't even, we don't get half the best like software engineering practices that we have in the software 1.0 world that we've taken maybe 20, 30 years to develop. So we are in, you know, you know, data point almost zero. In, so, so that means there's lots yeah. of opportunities to do products and ideas uh, in the software 2.0 world. So uh, the next question is again from Andre Lukyaninko. How do you choose in which competition to take part in uh, for Kaggle? So I think it has to add something for me in terms of learning new things. Um, so I really like challenges. So for example, in this molecular prediction one, yeah, I think um, so. My my teammate Pavel reached out and said, "Hey, if you look at this competition, I look at that. I've looked at that, and it was. Uh, I think oh, this is really difficult, right? Because they have different molecules. It's a graph. Uh, they, they 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 want you to predict many different things in the same molecule, but there's not always the same things. So I had no, I really no background in in quantum mechanics or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I just know like a high school level chemistry, which is yeah. just like drawing the molecule almost, right? <laughs> and knowing that different type of atoms exist. That's it. Um, so, so, so again, so this one, it was like a challenge. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it was a nice challenge. And again, and also the fact that, okay, if I am approaching this, I do, I, again, I want to do it in a lazy way, which is let the machine do the the uh, feature engineering. Right. So, so it's the same. Like I'm now, I joined and have really low, um, um, you know, accuracy and score in this. There's now an IEEE fraud competition mm -hmm. um, that is mostly tabular data. Right. right, it's really tabular data. They are anonymized with some meta feature, etc. And the winning solutions right now in the leaderboard, they have like a Almost as far as I know, all of them because of the forum comments, etc., use boosting algorithms. Mm. Yeah. So um, and then like manual field chain engineering, you mm -hmm. know, picking this part of the other. So right now I'm saying, okay, I'm going to join this competition, but I want to do it with deep learning, which so far so far is not competitive. I haven't seen really any competitive um, good spot in the leaderboard with deep learning. So I'm trying, and of course this is not using. I've tried already using like the tabular, you know, solution yeah. from FastAI. It doesn't cut it, right? <laughs> it doesn't cut it at all because there's things that, like for example, there are things that a deep learning model cannot really see, like sure. the frequency of an item, mm -hmm. right? Or when you have like in tabular data, new items that do not um, show up at all in the um, in the in the in the training set, and mm -hmm. they are in the test set. So there's Test versus trend, uh, um, you know, uh, disalignment. So then I said, okay, could I do what? There was this, I think, great solution 
from a previous one from the uh, Microsoft fraud. Um, um, so not fraud, the uh, malware competition yeah. with, um, I think his, his name is, uh, uh, is CPMP. It's, CPMP. It's, uh, CPMP solution that they manually try to align the two distributions manually. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think, so I'm joining this one. Maybe I don't succeed. I don't know. We'll see. Um, with the idea of trying to align two distributions with deep learning in yeah. which I wouldn't have to do anything. Uh, so okay. it's still very, so again, <laughs> so it has to be challenging in a way that I give the best representation I can find so the computer does my job. <laughs> Got it. That sort of gives us an insight that you always look for a challenge, but then you're also take a lazy approach where you like to just do the human parts and leave the computational parts for the computer. Yeah, well, I think that's the promise of deep learning, right? And so far it's shown that, it, again, if you have enough data, yeah. the representations that, that it finds um, are sometimes the issues that we do not understand sometimes those representations that's an issue because mm -hmm. we haven't built them yeah. it's not really a surprise right we don't understand how the brain works so it shouldn't surprise us that something that we've been inspired by right yeah. also we cannot really fully understand although it's easier than in the brain but that's the, the idea so if you can use the learning have enough data you know I think it's kind of good to be lazy in a way that's very true which brings me to the next question, which is by Michael Emil. Sorry if I got that wrong. It's M-I-C-H-E-L. Can you describe your high-level approach when competing in a Kaggle competition and what is your machine learning workflow? So, okay. So I think the high-level approach, you know, to, to be honest, I don't... So to be the right answer, which is not my answer, the right answer is there is a great post by Andrew Carpati about how to tackle machine deep learning problems which is very systematic. Like uh, um, first you build a model and you try to overfit it with just one or very few samples to mm -hmm. make sure that nothing is really broken. So that in the software 1.0 equivalent, this will build what used to be called like a smoke test, right? That it doesn't explode, right? right? <laughs> <laughs> so that's, so, so the right answer is not mine, it's Andrew Scott-Parthy uh, answer. What I do, it's uh, in Kaggle, in competitions, it's a different thing than in, in, in a commercial project. So mm -hmm. first is, uh, the first thing is, you know, even before downloading the data, I look the kernel, the kernels of notebooks that do uh, the exploratory data analysis, because there's great people that, that, that are really good yeah. at, you know, showing the data. So that's even before joining, okay, what, if I join this, what I'm going to deal with? So that's mm -hmm. the first. Uh, if I'm, then I also look at the metric. Okay, does this metric make sense? Yeah. Um, is it differentiable? Is it not? Can I be like enough good enough proxy? Mm -hmm. And then in my mind, I, I think, okay, how would I, can I approach it? Mm -hmm. is, can I come up with, a, and this is even before joining. So nice. just thinking about it. So this, you know, might take just one hour, really. Mm -hmm. uh, looking at all these things and making you know, in your head the picture of how it looked like. So if it looks like I join, download the data, and then I do the things that I have suspicion that may be useful mm -hmm. in terms of data representation or analysis, just in an interactive way in notebooks, it's way worse than what people publish. So it's very ugly. So, right. you know, maybe I just get numbers, I don't get fancy pictures. Um, sometimes, I have, sometimes you have to do them. Um, so that's the initial thing. Then um, I build uh, 
like a toy model um, initially. One thing that I used to do in, in retrospect is thinking really hard about the data representation. Okay. I think that the, the, the input representation is key. So even in images that you may take for granted that you're going to throw in pixels, right? Right. RGB pixels, sometimes, you know, depending on the scenario, there may be other ways. Example, mm. Carvana competition, right? So you get JPEG pictures, right? Internally, um, I think, you know, many people know that JPEGs are compressed, right? At two levels. So one is at the, you know, kind of uh, entropy level, which is, you know, far outside our domain, but the other is in the color space level. Right. So in images, machine learning models are usually trained with RGB, but there's a thing, a better representation because of how we perceive things which are being exploited by the compression algorithms, which is luminance and chrominance, right? So in the Carvana competition, for example, I, I did this unit in which you would fit just one channel of luminance on the top, right? And yeah. then once you do the downsampling, you feed the UMV channels. Mm. You save memory and you get more expressiveness. And also for a competition, which is back then, I, I used to have a more, less powerful CPU. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I created like a small, a different uh, fork of, uh, of the Turbo JPEG library, which incidentally fast.ai uses, mm -hmm. that you kind of get the components um, automatically. So it's even faster JPEG decompression because it doesn't have to do the color, color space reconstruction. So it's right. faster. So then, so then, okay, can I use this JPEG thing more natively because the images are giving are given to us in JPEG, right? And if you think about it, when you decompress, you are upsampling the image. Yeah. So, so these things happen even before I start, hmm. right? Then, okay, then I have to look if there is like an open source JPEG implementation that I can easily, you know, like uh, do surgery in, which in this case was easy, <laughs> to right? easy approach. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> because I'm not building <laughs> yeah. a freaking JPEG library. So in that essence, um, that's that's uh, input representation. So it's uh, getting a sense of the data, loss function, input representation, build a you know, simple model. And then then, it, then you can almost see immediately, right? If your mm -hmm. model, your first model gets decent approaches, that's a good start, right? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's pretty good. Um, and then, uh, and then it's training is like the boring part um, <laughs> because, you know, and again, um, sometimes I agree with, with Jeremy that today you can do with one GPU what before require like a cluster, mm -hmm. but competitions are competitions, right? So for like one, uh, this happened to us in the molecular one, we lost right. in the few, last few hours. It, for one decimal point, mm. right? Maybe um, because there's thousands of teams participating and more likely than not, the top teams are using approaches that may be similar to yours. Yeah. So sometimes, you know, ensembles wins or more computing power wins. Mm. So, you know, then, um, you know, I have to, I ended up in my house with five GPUs. So that's, <laughs> <laughs> so okay. I started, I remember when I started, I used to, to, to have like retrofit my gaming machine. I like gaming. PC gaming. Yeah. 
So I, I retrofit my, so then what happened immediately is that I couldn't game anymore because the freaking computer was <laughs> like training constantly, right? And I couldn't stop it and I shouldn't stop it. Although mm -hmm. you can do checkpoints, but you know, especially back yeah. then it wasn't so, you know, sure that you will get the, the checkpoint with all the optimize, optimizer data that you can resume, uh, uh, right. So, so model training, like uh, didn't do a C apart and then it's just, iterating that cycle and at the very end that's my view i'm not good at ensembles i'm not mm -hmm. good um but at the very end you know we we um um typically, typically and this is also i think when i do with pavel when i've done alone i haven't done um ensemble because i don't have enough machines but Great. he also has a few machines so he's you know pretty good doing the um ensembles which mm -hmm. you know is typically i don't touch okay what would be, this is slightly off topic, your favorite game maybe today and back from the days of Tri-Media? My favorite game? Okay, so that's easy <laughs> question. So back from the days of Tri-Media, this was very funny because Tri-Media, um, we did uh, PC games distribution. Mm -hmm. so it was funny uh, because, because I was working with games like uh, testing and every day I didn't play much until okay. Halo came out. Okay. So my favorite game, I would say, I don't know if, if all time, but one of my favorite games ever is Halo. Mm -hmm. And I'm very proud, I'm equally proud, this is funny, equally proud of my machine learning <laughs> experience Great. than like uh, having finished Halo 1, 2, and 3 in legendary mode. Which <laughs> to me, is like a super achievement, like uh, playing solo. So that, that's... Uh, and I'm not a good player, so I, I'm 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 almost embarrassed to say how many hours I've put into those games. I never so, got past normal mode, so yeah, <laughs> huge respect so, to you. Yeah, so legendary, especially in Halo Two, I think it was crazy. So and today, to in the very recent games, and this is a mm -hmm. very funny story. So I think uh, MGS Metal Gear Solid Five. Right. It was because, and this is you're going to laugh about this. Okay. When you start the game, it asks you your name, did you build your thing, right? And it yeah, asks yeah, you yeah. for your for for you, the day in which you were born. And I type it in and I forgot about it, right? Mm -hmm. And then I invent, like spend like many, many months playing the game, right? Like okay. Maybe I put 100 hours in the okay. game. And the day of my birthday, which I have forgot that I put my birthday in the game, right. I was playing and then they call me, you know, in this game, your base gets invaded. So sometimes you, your your home base mm -hmm. gets yeah, invaded yeah. by a team, like online team, and mm -hmm. you have to go back. This happens in the game a few times. Okay. So you have to go back and defend it. Like you're in a mission. Hey, mm -hmm. they call you. Hey, boss, come up quick. <laughs> the base, you know, there's a problem in the base. Yeah. You have to come up quick, come back and defend it. So I freaking out like they're going to steal mm -hmm. all my things in the base. <laughs> I go back to the base, right? And then there's all the base members they yeah. sing me happy birthday <laughs> on my okay. freaking birthday which i forgot so I, I was like completely blown out by this like i almost crying <laughs> in the computer screen so that that's that's uh very recent and right now because i have like a super like a incredible gaming gig because mm -hmm. of the learnings i have in yeah. my main machine is a thread reaper with 32 threads and okay. three, three, 280 Ti RTX cards. Interesting. 
yeah. okay, and two yeah. in SLI. Mm -hmm. um, so it's 4K with ray tracing, with all the all <laughs> the bells the and whistles. Yeah, so it's and I play in a big uh, screen with a projector, 4K projector. I'm really so, jealous of you, honestly. <laughs> so this is uh, right now because I, the last CPU, GPU I bought because of this competition, because yes. of the last one, uh, because also uh, there's a different reason, which is because my wife, uh, she's a doctor plus software engineer and has a he's got recently a PhD on AI. So mm -hmm. we are like competing for GPU resources at home. Okay. <laughs> so, so then I bought a third GPU for her, uh, uh, for as I was training with the two of them, because I have like the computer completely yeah. for me. So right now, and then with this third GPU, you get like two games for mm -hmm. free. Mm -hmm. One one was Wolf Tame, uh, Young Blood, yeah. um, and the other was Control, which yeah, is from I, I think control. Remedy Control. Mm -hmm. So Control. So I'm right now playing Control. Which is, of course, the graphics are, I think, the best I've seen. The RTX is pretty amazing on that game. Yeah, yeah, that's, I think, the, the game because I bought Metro Exodus because of ray tracing. Yeah. But honestly, you know, it's a hard sell, right? Yeah, so, yeah. So far, but in this game, it really makes a difference. So I'm playing uh, Control right now. Uh, okay. So that's, uh, it's, it's uh, <laughs> I think I have like a window. <laughs> Of, of of free GPUs until I like join the next competition. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's really interesting. So uh, coming back to the world of machine learning, congratulations to you on your amazing finish on the molecular competition. Uh, your team placed second on the leaderboard, and also congratulations on becoming a competition master. Thank you. I'd really love to get to know more about your solution, but before we get to that, could you help us set the stage and tell us what was the quote-unquote predicting molecular property competition challenge about? So this is like a um, great competition because uh, not only is a challenging problem, which I'm attracted to, but mm -hmm. also because the usefulness for the scientific world, I think is pretty high as the organizers um, you know, explain in the description. So it's basically what, what the competition is about. It's, um, you know, in, 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 in chemistry, when I studied chemistry, it was very experimental, right? So you have a molecule and you have a very similar molecule and let's say one of them explodes, you know, if you, if you add water and the other does not and they look the same, right? This mm -hmm. doesn't really happen in physics. Like if you see things similar, you can also anticipate the behavior. Right? right in math, mm -hmm. somehow you see a formula. There's exceptions, but you can anticipate and predict. But mm -hmm. in chemistry, you know, when I studied when I was a kid, it was really unpredictable. You have to do experiments. Right. So initially, we did experiments. Now, now because molecules are very small, right? Atoms, mm -hmm. right? So it's Armstrong's distance at that level. Uh, there is like quantum interactions that happen, okay. mm -hmm. and that's really why. It's difficult to predict because we really didn't understand the quantum world. Right. You know, maybe 20 years ago, we didn't have the capabilities of simulating the quantum world. So today we have better understanding of the quantum mechanics that really, you know, drive those, you know, properties that mm -hmm. molecules exhibit, and we can simulate them in a big computer. Okay. Okay. Those simulations, however, take time in a powerful yeah. computer. 
because okay. you have to simulate crazy equations that are very difficult, which I have no idea and no <laughs> really interest <laughs> of okay. knowing a lot, right? It's, they are super complex, regarding you to do a PhD in quantum mechanics, which I don't have time. So, yeah. um, so this, this, so a group of, of universities, mostly in the UK, I think, they, 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 they thought about this and say, okay, we're going to simulate, or we have simulations of around, let's say, 140,000 molecules mm -hmm. that we know we've simulated their properties in, in big computers. Each simulation for each molecule takes one day or one week here wow. a computer. Okay. So, okay, so, and, and there are small molecules, so 29, 29 atoms at max. So, um, and it's you can calculate with these, the types of atoms that they use in 29, that mm -hmm. there's billions of potential molecules. And I'm right. sure there's treasures mm -hmm. in those billions. So maybe there's a molecule that could be a good drug for a disease. Maybe there's a molecule that could be used for solar panels. Right. Maybe there's a molecule that can be used to extract oil from um, the sea when there's mm -hmm. an accident. So there's treasures, right? However, we don't have the resources because it takes days or, or weeks to simulate the behavior. So they say, okay, could we do a shortcut? Okay. Could the machine learning community build a model that doesn't run the expensive hmm. simulation and some somehow, you know, shortcuts and does it really quickly? So that's their motivation. Okay. Speed. Okay. So that's the that's the context. So the first thing I did when I joined is I remember I emailed the organizer and said, okay. This is great, it's a competition, but it's a challenging competition. And I feared that what may happen, which didn't happen, which may happen is that some team wins because somebody has to win, yeah. but their solution may not be usable hmm. because it's not accurate enough, right? It's right. fast, but it's not accurate. And mm -hmm. it will be, you know, waste of, you know, it's not a waste of time. Maybe they will say, okay, your machine learning is still not mature for yeah. this problem. So that's science, right? So mm -hmm. you learn from the impossibilities sometimes. Okay. So I asked them, okay, what is your threshold of success? Mm -hmm. And the, the, the organizer responded, which was great. Um, and, and he said, okay, if people, so this is basically, this competition is measured by accuracy, mm -hmm. simplified, and it's measured on a logarithmic scale, a logarithmic scale which okay. means that is the, the, for those that don't know, is the opposed of exponential. So from exponential, you increase a bit and it goes really fast. Yep. So here, uh, going like one point down, it's exponentially more difficult <laughs> as you go down in okay. the score. So he said, okay, if people uh, finish um, above minus two, you know, I, you know, it's not so good. Mm -hmm. um, people finish between minus two and minus three, you know, it will be good. But if people finish below minus three, I will be, his word, extremely excited. Okay. okay, so that, then I already have like a goal, okay? We have yeah. to get to minus three. <laughs> so it was really <laughs> difficult. So I think then, the best solution is minus 3.2 something. Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah. So there's okay. a, actually, so I think we, we, we finished with well, 0 0.01 or zero. Mm -hmm. So it's super tiny difference, like it's exponential. Mm -hmm. And then our single model, one model only, 
yep. so far published i think our model single model is the best uh, uh, they they use different ensembles uh, mm -hmm. really smart so they got with ensembles more score we use i think it's more similar models because we retrain them so we're not as diverse so we lack computational resources but our single model was minus 3.16 which okay. was more precise than their number one which minus 3.09 if mm. i go correctly but again so you know at that level every solution is is, is i think super good yeah. um so that's that's their the, the, the framework of this competition so what they make you is they give you a molecule mm -hmm. that can have you know three five up to 29 atoms and they say you okay what's the magnetic interaction to be honest i really don't know exactly <laughs> what that is okay okay it's called a j coupling so it's a mm -hmm. number okay so it's a number that's good to know it's just a single number and a scalar number yeah. between one atom and the other it's like the magnetic force I have no idea okay mm -hmm. of really what it is um so that's that's the idea so that is but then it's really for a molecule you may have up to hundreds well i think it was 180 something uh potent in the data set we're given potential coupling so because in in the water molecule you know it's between h and the other h or h and the oxygen right mm -hmm. so different combinations but there's some combinations that are not really explored I, maybe they're not useful it, okay the, so it's a difficult problem right it's a molecule that has they give you the molecule with the atoms positioned in space, mm -hmm. right? You can derive the bonds of the okay. atoms. Mm -hmm. You can build a graph, um, and and then they give you the 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 kind of pair pairwise interactions that you have to predict. So that's okay. the context. So it's a very challenging pr uh, problem. And okay. if you look at the literature, what you're going to find is that the state of the art before the competition, because the top solutions, the three top solutions beat the state-of-the-art networks, mm -hmm. are the state-of-the-art previous to this competition was graph-based um, graph uh, uh, models that take okay. you know, the input somehow in terms of a graph. And hmm. um, I, I, so again, so I look, if I'm going to join this, I need to do something different. So I'm not going to look at graphs because again, <laughs> so let's see if we can get something that is different. So then, uh, so say my workflow, right? So what yeah. can I think about? In this case, so also the, the loss function is, is very easy, right? Because the metric is differentiable. Mm -hmm. So that was easy in theory, but it, so it was easy. Then, so the input representation is the issue, right? In this case. Yep. So, and there's, and you look at the forum, it's crazy, right? They talk about dietrical angles, and, yep. and, and, and quantum stuff, right? About the <laughs> molecules and the bonds, the types of bonds. So you have to be an expert. So, you know, I don't want to become an expert. I cannot become an expert in two months. So then I said, okay, what? I mean, what is the minimum representation that mm -hmm. contains all of the information? So you may be tempted to think it's a graph mm -hmm. because that's how we've studied chemistry, right? right? But it's not really a graph because the graph can derive be derived there th with the three points. Right. So if you know the atoms and the, their positions, mm -hmm. there are no possible different graphs. There's just one right. graph, right? Right. That Makes that sense. because of the loss of nature. Mm -hmm. um, 
So with that thinking, I always try to feed the network the most entropy, right? Okay. Less redundancy. And in Got this it. case, the graph in my views had redundancy. Mm -hmm. Okay, Got so it. that's the first thing way of thinking. Okay, so then it really becomes easier when you start in this path. Because you say, mm -hmm. okay, I only, I'm going to feed the network with an, and this is going to sound funny now, with an, an, an order set of points. Does it look okay. familiar like a point cloud? It does. Yep, right? yes. Yes, really it does. a point cloud. Another yep. is a point cloud. Okay, so now that we have a point cloud, now the issue is that, and, and that's, so, so let's say that you only have one source atom in a molecule and you have to predict just from one source atom, the interaction between different atoms. Mm -hmm. Doesn't it look like a segmentation regression problem? It kind of does, right? right. Because you have to predict a value for each point, mm. right? A value. So I, and a segmentation is really a value, but at the end you do like a softmax, right? Or, or, yeah. or yeah, but it's really a value. Down in the network mind, if you will, it's a value, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, you know, why not predict this value as a relation directly? So that was the thinking, it's very simple, right? Mm -hmm. So you, you have like a 3D point, um, uh, just a cloud of 3D points. You have a reference atom and you have to predict. So then we use PointNet, which okay. I really have experience with. So mm -hmm. with PointNet, we managed to get at up to minus 2.2 or 2.3 score, right? But yes. then every experiment ended the same way. You know, we were not able, and then it was very unstable. And I was thinking why that happened in terms of the network. Mm -hmm. And it's because, well, you have to really dig deep in the point architecture because it's really trying to find uh, uh, functions in a super high dimensional space that right. gets squeezed at the very end. Okay. So that, that wasn't going to cut it in this competition. Mm -hmm. So then, then I thought, okay, what other, and this is a difficult question. So what other architectures take an order sets of, let's say, items, an order set, and that's the key, okay. like an order set, mm. right? And not many, right? So in an image, kind of the point is where it is, it defines the image, right? right. You cannot shuffle the points around. Mm -hmm. in a, by definition, the, the, the recurrent neural networks are order dependent because sure. that, that's really a feature of them, right? Um, fully convolutional layers because of the weights, how they are structured, they know which neuron they are accounting for for the weights, and right. that's position dependent. Mm -hmm. Also, not the, the, the kind of the bare bone uh, functional block, like the, the, the fully connected layers. But then um, I look at the, the I, I actually heard about a podcast with uh, one engineer from Google Brain and DeepMind, Oriol Vinyals. There's a good podcast that Alex Friedman does. Um, on AI, yep. and he, you know, like on the passing says that transformers, the inner blocks of transformers are position independent, and they had to really come up with an idea of add positional information. And then I said, okay, this is it. <laughs> That's it. So I just removed the positional information. 
Got it's it. It's more complicated than that, right? But that's, that's the, 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 the kind of the idea. The idea <laughs> is you can use actually the transformer blocks encoders without encoding positions or where you put if the um, oxygen you put it in the first item or in yep. the second it doesn't matter because the positions are in, in the actual vector right and mm-hmm. then uh, that was it that was the breakthrough idea then uh, trans- then then what happened is that the transformers are huge to train so have you seen the famous or infamous like open AI GPT2 uh, uh, drama right yeah yeah <laughs> about releasing the models etc they've used I don't know hundreds and hundreds of GPUs to train those models because they are huge. Uh, our biggest model was one million. Well, sorry, one hundred million parameters. Okay, is the biggest model I've ever trained. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and luckily for us, um, because I'm also very impatient. I, you know, in, in my in this case, uh, uh, my my teammate did uh, was more patient, more patient than I, I was. So he left their models training uh, uh, for longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in my case, my free GPU at home, like uh, I, I only put the max time I did train was like three days. Okay. And if we have let these models for running for one week, they have enough capacity mm. um, to eat, you know, quantum mechanics and more. <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, unfortunately, Distilled Bird came out just recently, but uh, giving that a shot might have been interesting. What is it? Distilled Bird uh, is a transformer from Hugging Face. Oh yeah, yeah, I saw it. That they yeah. they are like a yeah, but this came like like Just three days before the competition. So yeah. uh, strategically, and also we have other ideas. So so the um, idea, the input representation is we take a molecule like a source atom, and then we 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 build like a point cloud of that. For a different source atom, we build a different point cloud, which is just moving the source atom to the center of coordinate space, that's it. Um, but then uh, we also have one idea uh, that was, that we internally call the, so the, this we call the atom transformer because we really take, we create like a, a one different molecule per atom. Mm-hmm. Like, we call them siblings, but it's just changing the reference points. Uh, sure. But then we also had this uh, uh, 90% implemented, which really means 50% in the real world. But in my <laughs> mind is 90% implemented the molecule transformer. Okay. I think team number one and team number three did, which is to predict like all the couples in one shot. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but because we were twinning and it was was working so great, we decided to invest resources in just training the models because we didn't have enough GPUs. So if we had enough GPUs, mm-hmm. we would have trained for longer. And also I would have had resources to test the molecule transformer if it was right. better or not that the atom uh, transformer. But, you know, that's that's the game. <laughs> Got it. Uh, for uh, reference, again, for the audience, uh, you're talking about all of these molecular properties and uh, quantum mechanics, but did you or your teammate have any background or domain knowledge about this before joining? No, nothing, nothing. That's, that's, probably, that's, that's one reason why we actually consciously decided not to pursue this approach. Mm-hmm. So, so I say I work at CERN and... But my my work at CERN was just an engineer doing uh, uh, testing that the electronics were working okay, etc. So yep. it didn't really involve, um, uh, phys- you know, 
uh, um, quantum mechanics, etc. Mm -hmm. And uh, and Pavel, my teammate, um, he's a software engineer working in deep learning, so he does have pretty solid deep learning uh, background because his actual job is yep. uh, deep learning engineering. Uh, but he also doesn't have any background on this. And for context, many of the top uh, ending uh, top leaderboard teams were actually had a lot of domain knowledge, and these people were stacked up against uh, your team. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, yeah, but that, that this is what always happens in in deep learning. Yeah. That uh, <laughs> you can see like an outsider mm -hmm. um, come in. So this very similar also happened. Um, so again, there was other competition that we have not discussed that I did with uh, Pavel, which is similar in uh, there are always actually two uh, but the most notable one was the uh, I talk about Didi but yeah. we ended number one in Alibaba, Alibaba competition. LIDAR in China which that was crazy uh, that was crazy and some of the teams actually uh, even the, the <laughs> this is funny because we were like submitting and then um, I look at the Alibaba uh, researchers that organize the competition, etc., and they dealt with with point clouds in a very convoluted way mm -hmm. uh, for lidar, and then uh, we won this competition because again the input representation, we changed completely the input representation of lidar, we made it into a dense matrix, better than projections which were not projections, so it's kind of weird, very like a, it's kind of the JPEG thing like the yeah. native output of the sensor. Mm -hmm. but condensing a dense matrix that has some holes that you can account for in the log function. And then we ended up number one, again, people that were experts in point clouds and they had these sophisticated point clouds architectures with voxels and things. <laughs> so sometimes, yeah, it's so, so my view, you know, in a, in a, I think in software engineering and in many disciplines, when you start, you maybe you, 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 you doesn't even work. Then it works that is super complex. And what I strive for always is for the solution to be simple. Mm. So that's, that's difficult. It's sometimes you get it, sometimes you don't. But I think that you should strive for simplicity in the solution. Definitely. And it's not easy. So it's not, it's not that it's easy. It's simple. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. simple is more difficult. For sure. uh, but I think that's what you should strive for. That's that's why I found it funny because I could see myself uh, actually went to the competition while researching upon your profile, but I could see myself going up on that path of learning about voxels and their representation instead of striving for something totally simple uh, like you did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there was the other competition about uh, feature engineering, etc., which was the one competition that I joined because I thought it was impossible. Mm -hmm. It's so funny. So there was a, the IEEE uh, IEEE um, camera detection. I don't know if you know about this one. Yep. So this was one, the, the, this was so fun because the idea here in this competition was they give you a picture. This is like a CCI, right? The the TV series, CCTV. like a police. Uh, so it's, they give you an image, and you have to predict which camera mm -hmm. made the picture yep. out of the pixels. You don't have metadata, nothing. No, no, you have pixels only, right? And not only that, you can have pixels that have been compressing JPEG and blurred. Mm. Oh my God. So if you think about it, I thought, this is not possible, right? To do this. Yep. So then, so then I remember, so I participated in this one. So, you know, I just built like a 
blindly, right? If you, let's say that you are like an extraterrestrial, right? And you come to Earth and they give you pictures of dogs and cats, they, they look crazy to you, right? You don't have even, right? So, but yeah. you put them in a box, right? With labels and out comes dog and cat, right? So yeah. I was thinking if I was a neural network, right? <laughs> that was my kind of crazy thinking. Could I detect the camera out of the pixels? Interesting. And so the question is, and could I detect a dog out of a cat? So from the perspective of the neural network, it's a similar problem, right? So yeah. if you are looking at each neuron, right, what it does. So it doesn't have high-level notion as far as we have. So then I did what everybody would do, which is put like a classification neural network and feed crazy data in, right? Mm -hmm. With the expectation that it will find something, <laughs> right? Yeah. Without knowing what to find. Yeah. And then to my surprise, well, I, I there was a bit, um, in Kaggle there's, you know, this uh, um, tension about releasing kernels that are public mm -hmm. with wood score. So it kind of happened to me in a way that, so I did it at home, I got pretty bad results. So there were like 10 classes and right. I only got like 50%, which is more than chance. Mm -hmm. But there were, so good solutions were like 92, 93, 94. So they were doing something yeah, way off the totally. They were, but, you know, in a way I wasn't really surprised because, I, because initially I thought it was an impossible problem. So I yeah. said, you know what, I'm going to open source in the competition, not in our kernel, but in, in GitHub, the solution and with the expectation of, because it's a you know, pretty bad solution, I mean, 50%, with the expectation yeah. that somebody will find a bug or help me or help, you know, with the solution. Mm -hmm. Of course, it didn't happen, right? Nobody, <laughs> yeah. nobody was wanting to spend time looking at faulty code, right? And then I was walking and I, I realized that I made a bug in the code. And you mm -hmm. know, the worst thing coming from software 1.0 to software 2.0 is that the bugs are silent, yeah. right? And yeah. the, the, the greedy, greedy, grading descent algorithm will do anything in its power to find the best solution, even if you try to sabotage him yep. through a bug, right? So, so in some <laughs> ways, it's, it's your, your, your ally. In this case, when you have bugs, it's your enemy because it tries to hide the bugs. That's, that's a great analogy. So, um, so this is what happened here. So I found the bug was a simple minus sign, you know, in the loss function that was twisted, right? But it still managed to learn in spite of having uh, a bad sign. Um, yeah. And then it goes like, I fixed it and it was like 92. So suddenly it was one of the top solutions in this competition. <laughs> and it was and open source. It, and it was open source. So okay. what happened is that the top teams um, they they created a, like crazy symbols mm -hmm. with this with my code, and I remember I had to in the last day I added like a clause. But it was it couldn't be um, in retrospect, so it was moving forward that, that I said that you couldn't use the code if you were doing symbols because you know that was my like a, a, a license to use the code. But of course, they, before I had published. With this clause, you know, people could just go back and take the older version, which they did, of course. Interesting. So that was, um, but this is one example because some of the teams that performed worse were experts in optics. So they mm -hmm. were looking for features like the chromatic aberration, the, yeah. the you know, spectral analysis, the encoding of the, um, you know, cameras don't have RGB 
So they mm -hmm. have, a, 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 I think it's called buyer, I think, pattern um, okay. to reconstruct the RGB. So they were looking at artifacts of RGB reconstruction. So you have to All be crazy really, doing stuff. Yeah, you have to be really an expert in mm -hmm. this domain. And the top solutions, again, they didn't, in this case, they were just deep learning. So I think we were in the top, I think top five, one of the, uh, the only team that didn't use any domain knowledge, but I think, which in this case was an exception, I, this, I think this will become the norm more than the exception. Sure. Uh, so you just talked about multiple GPUs as well. I'm curious, how did you effectively use these, uh, maybe broadly speaking as well for other competitions? And how were these helpful? And there's a question by Ernab, how did you track your experiments? Yeah, so um, now it's way more, way easier than it was before. In FastAI, you just do two parallel yep. and that's it. Um, now I have two different computers. So far I have not tried to do distributed multi-machine okay. um, training. So that- but multi GPU? So, so multi GPU, yes. So in one computer I have three, I've used three. And okay. the other I have two and I've used two. And, in, and, and right now, but in Keras, there's also multi-GPU, um, which is easy. Um, and then in, in FastAI, there's two parallel. It has some issues. So like kind of bugs in the library that if you, it may not be an issue with the library because if you're running like an interactive uh, programming code, you may execute like two parallel twice and yeah. then it builds, it adds two callbacks and then it's convoluted because it fails on validation. But if you know what you're doing, you, you, you will be okay. And it's super easy to do. And they were actually linear uh, improvement in efficiency. So like if you have two GPUs, yeah. you double. I always try to squeeze the bat size, always. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if my GPUs have like 11 gigs each, I try to put maybe 10.5 on each. You have like a, yeah, max, max the EPUs. The and then you have to trade off between memory usage and compute. So mm -hmm. far, I always, so far with the uh, 2080 Ti, memory is the bottleneck, not computing, because I always max out memory and mm -hmm. also the, 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 um, the um, um, computing pipeline is full. Um, I don't know if that's the case with, I think, the, I think the most powerful you can buy today is a Quadro with, I think either 32 or even more gigs of RAM. But it's crazy, crazy that is expensive. Crazy expensive, right, the Quadro 6000. The next one, which is affordable, you know, word, affordable, yeah. is the Titan RTX, which has 30, uh, 24 gigs. <laughs> But then it has only slightly more computing power. Yeah. And in this case, I'm doubtful that even if you have, can feed more batches, mm -hmm. that you have enough tensor units or whatever it's called computing power to do all of them in parallel. And the, the benchmark that I've seen from, I think it's called Lambda Labs. Lambda Labs, yeah. Yeah, the benchmark I've seen from Lambda Labs, Lambda Labs is that it doesn't, it's not equal to 2x um, 20 TIs. Yeah. Got now it. the issue with having like three GPUs in my machine yeah. is that it's a big mess in the machine, right? Because all sorts of um, issue, issues happen, heating issues, and even like PCI lane management things people overlook. 
exactly. So so PCI A. So I, had, I I actually bought the Threadripper because mm-hmm. you have in lots of uh, um, PCI lanes. Yep. But one issue that I didn't foresee was that if you mount like two um, of the self 20 TIs, they yep. measure like 2.5 PCI slots. Yep. It means that you may get the the place where you would fit the third GPU obstructed. So I had to do this for this competition. I also had to do the, you know, uh, do-it-yourself electronics that I had to find in China a, okay. a flexible PCI extender Got that I could it. squeeze in like crazy. <laughs> um, and then, and then also in the competition, I was getting these errors like the, I don't know if you've experienced them. Um, not many people based on my search and I just have a single GPU, so probably not. So the, the error is in, it's like a kernel error that the GPU has fallen out of the bus, like this cryptic okay. error, right? And if you look at the internet in this error, you will only find, peop- find people that have been doing mining, like Bitcoin mining, they have eight GPUs, okay. right? And it's very obscure conversation about it could be PCI electromagnetic interference because it's a long cable, could be power issues. So it's, but there's no like solution really. So I had to do, like I, I, I shielded, I was looking, I, I have to make a picture. Um, I shielded with aluminum film, the PCI extender wow, and, okay. and grounded it in the PCI. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was getting to. Yeah, so that was, so I also, for this competition, I also had to do like Howard trying to fix, and I fixed it eventually. So I managed to run the three uh, GPUs, but I need to like clean up the mess. So my computer is like (laughs) a huge mess. But yeah, but so it works. So the the good news is super easy in a computer to have two. Now, the only caveat I, I make, if you plan to have two GPUs, make sure that you address the thermals on the second GPU because it's likely going to get, depending on your cooling system, it's yep. going to get the, the hot air from the first one. Um, so make sure that this is addressed. So you have a good case, I don't know. So don't put the two GPUs close to each other okay. if one of them have the fans going in these directions because the uh, this one either may die because of yep. thermals mm. uh, or it may throttle down and you will get sure. much worse performance. That's the, the caveat. I'd like to drop a quick plug. So I've had an interview with Tim Detmers who has this amazing write-up about all GPUs. So please do check that interview out in case you want to find out more about all these GPUs. We've also talked about thermals there. So that might be an interesting conversation. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I will do. Um, so uh, there's this next question by Michael ML. Uh, what computing resources would you recommend to train gold medal uh, models in a reasonable amount of time? And what is the minimal amount of computing resources to be able to iterate and learn fast for a given problem, in your opinion? Well, so, so I, I'll address the second question first. So to learn is really, you can learn with um, cloud um, resources. Sure. So you can learn with Google Colab. So that's not an issue. They do give three hundred dollars in advance, so that's that's yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's Google that GCE, right? The Google Computing Engine to yeah. give you three hundred bucks, but the Google Collab is free. Okay, for yeah, X collab. hours. Sure. Yeah, Collab. So with Collab, so you know, it's right now there's no barrier. 
for mm -hmm. learning, right? Now, competition or competition. So your competitors, so this is an ongoing war. I think it's the trend is to grow bigger as time goes by. And it's, it's unfortunate, I think. Unless you are lucky, some, some, sometimes you see like an entry in a competition in the top 10 that has like a either luck that they just got the right hyperparameters the first time yeah. and they were lucky, right? Because there's thousands of people participating. So luck is going to be, you know, given to some of them. Um, so the minimum, if you can, if you want to buy, right now I would go with a, you know, AMD CPU. Mm -hmm. um, eight cores would be pretty good sure. because of, especially when you do augmentation. Mm -hmm. um, maybe, maybe six cores would cut it. Yeah, six cores yeah. is pretty cheaper compared to eight cores. That's why. Yeah, the the only reason I recommend eight instead of six is because if you down the road want to move to a two GPUs, you are covered. Yeah, then you are covered. Where it would be more expensive, you have to sell and then buy the other one. Um, and then uh, in terms of GPUs, I will get the I will get if you can afford like a twenty sixty. Um, NVIDIA, uh, because it has better support for um, hybrid training, mixed, mixed precision training. Sure. And that makes a difference because you can fit more yep. batches in memory. And then it goes, in my experience, sometimes with the RTX, 2x faster. Definitely. And it's just in FastAI, one line of code. Just one function, honestly, not even a line. Yeah, one function, exactly. <laughs> So, uh, as you know, like uh, during a competition, you may be running 20 to 30, maybe even more experiments or even generally in like a data science scenario. Could you tell us uh, maybe what ideas worked for you and what didn't work during this uh, molecular competition and some thoughts behind like uh, how did you approach when an experiment failed? Yeah, I think for us, the biggest um, failure in terms of failures, the biggest failure were, was that um, regularizing the model was super hard. Okay. Um, so we tried dropout with both team number one and team number three managed successfully, and we couldn't. We also tried adding like rotations, and the transformer really was working great with our rotations, and it didn't adapt. So in terms of regularizing the model, our train versus validation. So validation was, you know, almost spot on with the better board with as many teams. Mm -hmm. So in the competition, it was great. But then our train was so much uh, better than validation. So some models, we managed to get minus six okay. um, in terms of, of train loss uh, instead of, you know, minus 3.1, 3.16, the best we got. So there was a very clear issue. Mm -hmm. that I you know, tried both different, even scaling with decay didn't work. I tried something I thought I invented, but it was already invented, which is called cutout. Like I didn't know about it. I call it knockout, um, <laughs> which in this competition was basically like uh, wiping mm -hmm. random atoms, um, which in, in the attention layer, so I didn't get tension mass in the transformer, like uh, wiping atoms, um, like knocking it out. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's called, it's called cut, cut out. Okay. 
um, that didn't work either. So the, the model, even with that train grade, good loss, but didn't regularize. Um, so that was, I think, our biggest thing that uh, even today, I do not know why it, it doesn't work. Um, so that's, that's something I need to look into because um, obviously it could be further improved if we had the right regularization. Um, yeah, that's, that's the big Got uh, So the next question is by WJWKA. Uh, that's the username on Kaggle. What would be the first idea in your mind about feature selection and how do you allocate, resor uh, allocate resources when time, for example, uh, be con being considered when the resources are limited? Kaggle would be the best example. So I think a feature selection, um, you know, based on the whole conversation is a pretty moot point because I tried not to do manually yeah. features. So I think the, the answer is, shifting the answer is trying to, to find the input representation with the most entropy mm -hmm. that could reconstruct the data and has like a very nice matching machine model that you can fit in. So that Got would it. be, uh, and in terms of resources, um, I don't know the answer, it depends on each competition really all the challenges. So, but again, it's a <laughs> try not to write too much code and do the computer do its job. That's uh, to me, the question would be right now, honestly, <laughs> do I get a gaming computer or not? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great point. Um, so uh, the next question is by Vikrant. What are the things that helped you increase your score gradually and uh, the strategy you used there? And maybe if you could also summarize your final solution that made it to the second position. So, so in terms of um, gradually increasing, in our case was just a hyperparameter manual search. So in the transformer architecture, you have a few things that you can tune, number of layers, mm -hmm. um, the width of the model, number of um, attention heads, um, they call it you know, number of heads, uh, and the dimension of the aggregate of, he of heads, of the attention. So those are, and we just basically started like trying uh, different things. And I must say that this is an area that we could have done a better job, especially if we had more computing, uh, mm -hmm. because we would have been, especially me, more disciplined um, <laughs> in, in testing the models in equal conditions. So. You say, okay, I'm going to leave this for like 300 epochs, which is sure. three days. And then, but then sometimes what happened to me is I got excited. I got this idea of knockout. And what the model was like, need training, I would kill it. Okay. And then, uh, like, a, you know, finished training with knockout it was kind of a weird mix. So, because, you know, of course, if I had like two, you know, um, separate resources, I could have trained at the very last days. I, I, I rented um, in a place that uh, Pavel told me. Uh, it's called Bast.ai. They have and, pretty uh, cheap uh, multi-GPU yeah, machines, to my surprise. Exactly. Super cheap compared to the others. They are a bit less, they are a bit less reliable. So they have, of course, this price comes with its, uh, you know, its thing. But, you know, it worked for us. 
um, so I could run a few experiments. So I spent, somebody asked me, so how much did you spend? So I spent maybe like uh, 60, 70 bucks. Uh, and I rented like four, two machines with four 2080 TIs each. For reference, I believe on AWS or maybe GCP, this would easily be above $200, $250. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah, significantly cheaper. Also, but I must say also that for a few hours, I tried because, you know, preemptive thing to kill, to kill it. I tried like an 8, um, eight V100 machine. Oh, okay. Significantly more powerful. Yeah. It was crazily fast. So not only but it was like uh, incredibly fast but it was super expensive so I bought you know that you can rent this thing called preemptive yeah. that is super cheap but they can shut it down right mm-hmm. but my, my experience with you do this in Amazon you know they don't really shut it down this often but in Google Cloud mm-hmm. I was getting like shutdowns every like two hours <laughs> okay. and, and then I, I couldn't I couldn't use it because you know training so Maybe, you know, maybe if it was like a company, you would be like a fault tolerance system that on each restart, you, re- you resume training and it's do- super doable, right? Uh, but I didn't have the time. So it was like, I think, like three days before the end competition. Got it. It's not difficult, really, but you have to do it. Sure. And if you could maybe uh, give a very high overview of the final solution that made it uh, to the top of the leaderboard. Yeah. So the final solution, so it's, uh, the input representation is just just the three coordinates that I given to you in the training set. Um, just normalized, like uh, minus their mean uh, divided by the um, you know standard deviation, so that the mean is zero and the standard deviation is one, which is you know uh, vanilla normalization. And then um, you get the atom also on the coupling type and mm-hmm. they have like three types um, depending on the, the different atoms um, so how do you fit into the transformer model the transformer model has let's say 266 and 56 dimensions so uh, in this vector the three first is the XYZ right sure. and the other is just for, for the remaining uh, 253 um, dimension, so it's like an embedding, mm-hmm. it's really an embedding, learned, learned embedding of the atom type, which is, you could really encode it in like a, a one whole vector, right? But it's, so, the, but, but because the transformer needs this width, so you expand it into embedding with more dimensions, mm-hmm. which could be, you know, in my mind, like, in my mind, um, the, if I was a new network, right? <laughs> uh, I could. <laughs> so right now it only knows that this atom type three, right? Yep. Yep. Which we know, let's say, is oxygen, for example, right? But then in this huge vector of 120 something dimensions, it could find or learn like physical characteristics of sure. the atom, right? So, yep. you know, let's give some room for the model to uh, be a good uh, physical. Right, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> and then same for the uh, J coupling dimension. So that's that's the input, right? So the input is really um, three coordinates, okay. and then the atom and the 
coupling type. This gets and and this really gets into a pretty much vanilla. Um, although Pavel did some changes on some of his models on mm -hmm. the attention layers, but in mine were just vanilla um, uh, vanilla um, uh, transformer encoders. Mm -hmm. The decoder is a bit different, so we use the encoder. Um, so it, it and then there's like maybe the smaller model was six layers, and the biggest one was uh, 22, uh, 24 layers. Okay. Um, and then what you get at the so then what you get at the output. So on the output you get um, so this is like twenty nine, right? So you need to mask them because some of the molecules do not have twenty nine atoms. So you have the attention mask that you can mask that you can use for the transformer. Although it's not really needed if you do things a bit differently, but it's better to use the attention mask. But the attention mask basically lets you tell the model, hey model, you cannot look at this position. Okay. Okay? So it's a way of forbidding the model to look at this position. Um, the mask, right? Then it Great. learns the attention, but the mask is to forbid the model. In the language thing, they use it to prevent the model from looking into the future. Got because in theory, you could look at the whole thing. Um, so we only look at the valid atoms. Um, and then the loss function, it's very straightforward. And the only caveat is that because none of the 29 atoms have uh, J-coupling defined, it's really masked. So we build a mask of which ones are valid. So the loss function only uses the ones that are valid. That's it. Mm -hmm. Very simple. And the only thing I'm missing is uh, it's at the very end of the, let's say, 24 layers of transformers, you have like the same dimensions as the beginning, right? So what you do is we did a, um, it's kind of a linear transformation of all the atoms um, from 200, 256 to either four if you use the scalar contributions that were given to you, or just one if you're going to predict the, the final scalar contribution. Uh, and, and if you think about this, it's really a, like a 1D convolution because it's a linear transform with shared weights because the other doesn't really matter to you. Makes sense. So it's a com convolution in one dimension, that's it. Um, and then, uh, and that's it. That's, that's super simple. There's no... <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing else. <laughs> There's no quantum mechanics involved at all. There's no, exactly. I think that number, number one team, they built that transformer that had projects with quantum mechanics and it was really sophisticated because it was really a graph. Um, uh, but ours, as you can say, is like super simple. I'm actually really surprised that, yeah. um, that you know, it works so well being so simple. Uh, so the next question is by Raheem Nasiruddin. How can someone develop the good habit of progressing on uh, each competition? Uh, I'd also be curious, like what happens once if you're stuck maybe on the public leaderboard and you're out of ideas, what do you do after that? So I think, you know, there's, there's two things. One is to look at the leaderboard and then I would recommend that when you start, you set your goals. Like what do you want out of the competition? Right? Do you want to win a medal? Do you want to learn? Right? Mm -hmm. It's very different, I think. Yeah. Um, and I would recommend, especially if you're starting, to 
to Sedugor learning because I think there's a there's a, a, a dark side of, of gamification. Sorry, the, yeah, the gamification thing is to team up to win medals, and you don't learn. Yeah. So, so my recommendation is okay, do as much as stuff as you can personally. So mm -hmm. look at kernels, get ideas, but then code them yourself. Because each mistake is not a mistake. It's a learning experience. Definitely. So that's pretty cool. And then, um, not, especially not focus so much at winning or not winning. It's extremely competitive. And um, and then um, uh, if you're stuck, team team up. That that would be, uh, I think, the, the, the best approach. But I would also recommend to team up with maybe just one uh, team member only. Because if you team up in a big team, you know, mm -hmm. you could be tempted to not do anything. Yeah. Or to do less than you would do if you were to do it with just two. That's a good um, point. So, so I've seen, so I've, I've teamed up a um, few times. And um, so my experience has been a big mix with, with Pavel. Every time we've teamed up, it's been a great experience. Um, with other uh, people I've teamed up, sometimes it has been good. Like for example, in the uh, uh, data, the, the, this big data, what is it called? The, they do it once a year. Um, about data science pool? Yeah, I think, yeah. Yeah, the BS, BS, DSB. Or, yeah, DSB. So this one was pretty good. But then there's been others that I've teamed up and people, the team, the Houston team will tell me that they have a great solution. <laughs> they didn't do anything, like anything, right? Nothing. Um, so, you know, it happens, right? So it's, you know, this is really a game. But then again, it's a big team. So if it was a person only, kind of the responsibility is more, you know, is more defined than mm -hmm. being a other app. And this has been my experience, right? And, and the reason I, I said I like to team up is because you get wildly different perspectives. Gotcha. So maybe good in um, finding leaks, right? Which yeah. you know I don't you know I kind of I don't um, don't really explore at the mm -hmm. beginning. Um, sometimes you don't find a leak, but looking at finding leaks, you find something that could be super interesting. I'm going to give you an example. So when we started the Airbus competition about the ships that uh, Pavel found this leak, we're initially looking at something different. What we were trying to do was to um, assemble like a big map, like a, they, were, they give you small tiles, and we knew that we could put the tiles together, right? To build like yes. a build map, and then we could do, we could do better augmentations, right? Once you have this big map. Mm -hmm. But then what we found, actually Pavel found was that the tiles were overlapped and that really was a crazy because it didn't test and train and yeah. that was the leak right so although we were not looking for the leak directly indirectly we right and that's a so that's a different way of thinking right which maybe I would have not even thought that we were given the data in the state that we were given sure. and um it's a bit sad, right? Because we did this, and then you know they have to cancel the competition, get the new data, and redo it. But uh, but then like we lost interest, <laughs> and then we didn't even uh, uh, do it. And kind of our, our job here is done, right? <laughs> so uh, yeah.
you know some of them you know they when they started they got you know pretty bad results yep. so that's normal there's people that think okay i'm frustrated because i'm seeing all these great solutions and i fear that i may not be up to the task you know everybody we, we all start like that uh, and then like what i said team up initially especially initially team up with few team members so you actively have to work because otherwise it's like too asymmetric Um, and the third is to read in-depth uh, solutions for competitions. It's, be- it's much better if you have participated because you know firsthand yeah. what you're dealing with, but even in competitions that you have not, hmm. because you may see like a new keyword to you. Like, uh, for example, I remember in the Carvana competition, because I just like my first Carvana one, the top team used like what they call like level two and level three ensembles, yeah. like a stacking. I had no idea what that meant. Like a boosting, like what is boosting? Like I thought it was like a library or like a, like a deep learning architecture, which I didn't know about. Okay. So even, even like reading solutions may, will, will uh, give you pointers mm-hmm. to different stuff. Got it. Uh, the next question is by Rahim. How can African guys also have a breakthrough when dealing with Kaggle Grandmaster? Which um, I'd like to reframe as uh, how's the, if you may elaborate on that, machine learning scene in Spain. And just to elaborate on the fact that most of the online learning for you, I believe, comes from Kaggle and online resources, not just the local community. Right. So, so addressing the, the Africa So there's, there's, of course, I don't really have their experience in Africa, but I would point um, the person um, posing the question to two resources. One of them is there's a community and a conference called Deep Learning in Daba, yep. um, which, you know, if you're in Africa, may be worth uh, to look at. And the other is in the Fast AI forums, there's a study group for Africa. So that's, you know, started for our community. Um, in Spain, so... Again, most of my staff, actually there was one thing that I did that I haven't mentioned, which is uh, in terms of, I think the only time I've learned like physically being in a, a place to learn deep learning was in, um, I went to a summer school, when was this, 2017? Yeah, like one week summer school in Spain, in Bilbao, Okay. which was amazing. Like. Uh, first one week first you know best like the one week learning experience ever um because especially you know it was there were people coming from the vector institute in mm. canada people from facebook from google from microsoft um so it was great great people um you know giving all the talks Interesting. Um, so that was uh, and there's 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 lots of good summer schools for deep learning in many places yep. so time this was in europe so this time this specific one took place in i think uh warsaw in mm-hmm. poland 
Um, but there's few in Canada, in the US, there's, I guess, a bunch. And in Asia, I don't have uh, the luxury of speaking any of their language, so I don't really know. Um, but I'm sure there's a bunch in China, and maybe in Japan, and then Korea. And then uh, in terms of global community, in, um, in, uh, in, in Spain, we have uh, two, I think, two big communities in terms of Slack groups. Um, one of them, one of them is called MLH, like Machine Learning Hispano, which also includes okay. not only Spain but all, uh, every Spanish-speaking country, especially you know in in, in um, Latin America. And uh, the other is uh, Machine Learning Spain, if I, Spain Machine Learning, if I remember correctly. And those run through Slack. Um, okay. In my city, there's no really. Um, in terms of like a community, there's a, my university, not the I studied, I studied in a different university, but the mm -hmm. university in my city, in Alicante, they, they, they're postdocs and, and um, PhD students. They run every two weeks one like a, a meeting which is open. And also we do in my city, we organize um, like a conference more geared towards the general public. So it's Got not it. really uh, like, uh, but it's pretty good because I think there's one thing that is missing. So right now, you and I are discussing the how, right? How we do things in machine yep. learning. But I think the bigger question uh, is the what and the why. What do we want to do with AI and machine learning? And why do we want to do it? That's um, And then this, I think it's going under the radar. I think we do have some responsibility as practitioners to educate, because I think the worst thing that can happen is to have people have, who have no idea what they're talking about to either regulate, regulate AI, yeah. or speak about the Terminator scenarios and crazy <laughs> things like, yeah, that's crazy, right? That's a so great I think point. We do have some responsibility For sure. on, 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 in terms of um, trying to have the society understand. I think the best example, at least I've seen, uh, is in Finland, where mm -hmm. they have like a, you know, general like a, you know, for everybody, um, like a training, open training on what AI can do, mm -hmm. what are the implications, what is the difference between, you know, the ethics, what they call ethics, right, the bias, um, the, I don't know if it goes this far into, which I think is the key issue, into correlation, which is what yep. we are doing every day, and causality, which we are not doing. And people think we are doing causality, mm. and we are not. So that's a big issue. So those are things that I, I don't think, as far as we, we don't have, our community in Spain is about the how at this point. So it's, you know, engineers that want to learn, etc. I think we are missing a big opportunity in Spain and maybe even beyond Spain yep. about having people who really know what you're talking about, like Rachel Thomas and others that have this higher and why we want to do it and what we want to do. That's a great point. I think also, like you said, what many people miss out is, I'm just doing a Kaggle competition. How will this even affect uh 
ethics or how will this even matter but people generally even overlook things there and things like that in my opinion also adds to the origin of all of these biases yeah well there's there's for example there's one competition that i didn't join specifically because um i wasn't really you know aligned with the goals mm-hmm. which this may be weird but i'm not the only one i know because it was posted in the forum which is the i was i think it was called the ts salt segmentation yeah so remember this this i do like uh, graphs about salt which you know may some may not like we have to segment salt right but what was the purpose of this competition so it yeah. was about drilling oil right mm. you know so in my case everybody is free to think uh, you know what they want to think but in my case i didn't want my coder solution to be used in a project that at least as far as i understand maybe i'm wrong um, would go against you know uh, would make climate change worse because oil extraction so i would rather work in a solution that uh, address climate change uh, instead of having instead of helping the most extreme case is like helping like a tobacco company become you know use machine learning to have people be more addicted right so that is like bad right i don't want to work on that on on addiction that <laughs> so so maybe you know i down in that scale yeah the salt competition but i didn't want to join so that's a good point although it looked like a nice competition because it had some challenges i i didn't want to to join this one so that's i think i think you're you're uh we are missing maybe you know um uh, in terms of you know being um you know be, be taking more ownership on the side effects or on the effects right or even side effects on the effects sure. of of these technologies we have to, as engineers we have to um at least both take more responsibility and educate people on limitations and risks i i really respect that perspective so uh, this conversation has really been full of many great advices uh, so thank you for those my final question would be what single uh, best advice would you have for someone who's just starting their journey into machine learning so few things don't be overwhelmed because especially today like every week is like as if the whole thing is being rebuilt every week like a classification like you know before you only had like bg and that was the best right then resonance then x resonance then y resonance <laughs> you know what else right i'm losing track right yeah. of things it's possible to keep track of things uh, many of those so you have to remember like many of those are very incremental improvements so don't be overwhelmed um and then um i would recommend to in, in terms of learning like have some training in the form of online free courses mm-hmm. if you are not such a self taught you know self um taught a student maybe you opt for paid courses which have projects which mm-hmm. are also a great experience maybe if you live you have the opportunity to have in person you know to so do uh you know like regular learning but then take this into practice and right now the single best practice 
before like going to a company is to take part in competition because you get you know many angles and and it's the closest you will get to a real setting and then use the advice that you know my advice that also you've done interviews with great cagglers and they also show great advice so read all your <laughs> thanks thanks for the mention we'll definitely have the series linked uh, for those who want to check it out um maybe for courses i'd also like to mention fast.ai it's it's my personal favorite and the only course i recommend so if you'd like to spend some money what i'd suggest is go there in person have use that study group over there i know it's it's pretty intense during those weeks maybe give that a shot but definitely check out fast a for a course yes yes i would yeah I, i'm with you i would recommend so we recommend two things with with fast ai was one is first fast ai and if you have to ask me for a second one mm-hmm. i would do the cs um it was a 2319 right 231n yeah yeah this time for the one that uh, carpathia did in 2016 although it may seem to you that it's like the middle ages uh even the speed that we are but that one is completely different from fast.ai in many respects that if you once you've done fast.ai and you want to dig have a different perspective yep. it's pretty different it's an incredible valuable resource got it so this has been an amazing conversation before we end the call what would be the best platforms to follow you and follow your work apart from kaggle of course um i think i'm most active on twitter um with the caveat that i usually um and the reason is because i would um you know be a, a, an influence to have people jump from server 2.0 to server 2.0 in spain which we don't have many people talking about ai but yes. even if i tweet in spanish i have to say that i also follow like japanese carlers that that tweet in japanese and there's a single button to translate tweets so you know you can follow what i say and with that it's built in twitter translate tweet you will get it in your local language translate works well for you so while i was searching your profile it, it worked well on your tweet so please don't let that uh, barricade you from <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you so much, Anders, for doing this interview, and thank you for sharing all of these great advices today. Okay, it's been a pleasure, and thank you so much for uh, both for inviting me and both for putting this together. I think it's a great resource uh, to have like a peek in. You know, I was reading <laughs> some of the interviews that you've made, and those are great. Thank you so much. It's all great okay. because of people like you who agree to do them. So thanks to all people like you. Okay, you're welcome. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to give it a review or feel free to shoot me a message. You can find all of the social media links in the description. If you like the show, please subscribe and tune in each week to Chai Time Data Science.